If you uh, have your Bible, open and find Joshua, Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 4. This morning we'll be in the fourth chapter. We're nearing the end of the beginning section of the book of Joshua, that this beginning section that focuses on their preparation to enter into the promised land. And just to rehearse those divisions, if you weren't here for the beginning of it, um, just how the whole book of Joshua is laid out. Chapters 1 through 5 recount their preparation to enter into the land of promise. And then chapters 6 through 12 are about, once they're across the river, about their actual conquest in the land, to take the land. Then chapters 13 to 21, if you're just reading it on your own, those can be a bit tedious. 13 to 21 are about how they divide up the land once they've taken it. And this tribe gets this part, and that tribe gets this part, and this tribe. 13 to 20, that's a lot of chapters of that, right? Uh, But then the last three, 22 through 24, are then about how they are to live now that they are in the land, okay? And being in chapter 4 this morning, you can see that we're nearing the end of that first major section uh, of the book. In two chapters, we'll move into the actual conquest of the land, chapter 6. If you were able to be here last week, you may remember that I said chapters 3 and 4 form one whole unit within this first section. Um, They together, chapters 3 and 4, should be read seamlessly. they, They together... Uh, record sort of just the miraculous events uh, around Israel's crossing the Jordan into the and, and and crossing in the same manner that 40 years earlier the people of Israel had crossed the Red Sea. And uh, we looked at the events of chapter three last week, and so we'll complete our look at that event in chapter four with what we find here. Just to recap what we saw last week from chapter three, we saw the Lord in chapter three command Joshua to command the priests to take up the Ark of the Covenant, right, which, which the Ark of the Covenant represented, symbolized, was the localized uh, manifestation place of the presence of God among the people. To take the Ark of the Covenant, priests, you take the Ark, go on up ahead of the people, a half a mile ahead of the people, and, uh, and we will follow you from that distance. We will follow where the Lord leads you to go with the ark and, and, and that you're to go to the Jordan, priests. And when you get to the Jordan, which we were told it overflows its banks during this season of the year. It was a raging torrent more than a, a small stream. When you get to that, you are to walk into the river and just stand there. Stand there. Because uh, when you do, God is going to perform a miracle. When the priest stood in the water, Just as God had done 40 years earlier at the Red Sea, God caused the waters of the Jordan River to be cut off, to stand up like a heap. And we're told that because we're given very specific geographical locations, like almost 30% of the Jordan River was cut off for the people to cross over on dry land. Today, in chapter 4, we're going to read about what the people did after they were across the river. Uh, now, now they are technically in the promised land, those still yet to drive out their enemies who live there. So if you found Joshua 4 in your Bible, we'll go ahead and read it before we look at the details. And, uh, when, and, and, and you'll find that 
when we read it, there is really one theme that dominates this chapter. And we'll spend some time thinking through that theme. All right, Joshua 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read the entire chapter. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on uh, before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them with them. Oh, carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan. You could translate that from the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests uh, bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. Uh, For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people. Now, just we won't spend a lot of time there, but there's a, there's a reason that those uh, two and a half tribes are singled out here. They were in chapter 1. They're going to come up again at the end of the book. They were the ones... Uh, if you remember from back in Numbers, uh, even when Moses was still alive, they were on the east side of the river, not in the promised land, and they were the ones that said, hey, we kind of like it here. This place has good land for our cows and stuff. So you guys go on in. We're good right here. And Moses was like, are you kidding me? Um, We don't have time to rehearse it. But basically they struck a deal, and they said, we will help you. We will go with you when you go in. We'll help you go in. We'll help you fight the battles. And then once you're there, we'll move back out. All right? So they're, they're keeping up their bargain right here, right? So the sons, verse 12, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, just as Mo, Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, 
the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Well, Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word, and uh, we are blessed merely by the hearing of it. Would you please, as we study it and, 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 and desire to hear from you in it, would you give us eyes to see the truth in this passage? Would you give us minds to understand what you would have us to learn? Would you give us hearts to embrace the truth that you teach us here? You give us wills to obey whatever it is that you admonish us to do. Would you give us all ears to hear? And please give me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you, you see some, some themes uh, from earlier repeated here. You, you have the continued stress on, on all Israel crossing in together. That's been a theme since chapter 1, like they're all going over. You have that theme re- repeated here. You have the continued stress on the Lord exalting Joshua in the eyes of the people, just like he exalted Moses, uh, so that they revered him just as they revered Moses. You see the continued stress that they were preparing for the conquest of the land. And in saying in verse 13, for example, and it's unclear if this was just that those two and a half tribes or this was all the soldiers, but 13, verse 13 tells us that there were 40,000 Ready for war. So this, this eye on why are we crossing over? To, to do battle, to do conquest, to take the land. It's keeping the reader's eye on what's coming up. But it's hard to miss the main theme of this chapter, when you read it out loud especially. It, it begins and it ends with this theme. It's just repeated over and over, which is what? Remembrance. Remembrance remembering what the Lord did for them on that day at the Jordan River. It's, yeah, that, that's, that dominates this chapter. So taking the lead of the Scriptures themselves here, we're going to think this morning about that theme, remembrance. And uh, I, I want us to think about it from three angles. The first two from this chapter, or mostly from this chapter. And then the third angle sort of looking at this, the theme of this chapter from a broader biblical uh, perspective. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here is what I want us to see. First, we'll note the duty, the duty of our remembrance, the duty of our remembrance, which is essentially the focal theme of the chapter. And as we'll see by the time we're done, it's not just limited to this chapter, the duty of our remembrance. Second, the flip side, the opposite of that. Uh, The second point is this, the danger of our forgetfulness. The danger of our forgetfulness. If the first point is the the, the positive admonition from this chapter, 
you have a duty to remember what the Lord has done. The, this is the flip side negative prohibition. There's a danger in forgetting. Uh, and then thirdly and finally, we're going to pan out from this chapter more broadly, biblically speaking, and, and think about the delight. Now think of how I word this, the, the delight of his remembrance, right? The, the duty of our remembrance, the danger of our forgetfulness, the delight of his remembrance. And we'll, I'll, 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 uh, I'll explain why that pronoun is important when we get there. And I hope, I hope we'll leave this, this morning encouraged. So having noted that, that outline, let's dive in and take a closer look, thinking first about the duty of our remembrance. The story here is not complicated. I mean, sometimes, sometimes uh, when you're trying to put, the, if you're ever trying to like, teach a Bible study, certainly you know, when you're preparing a sermon or, or a Bible study of sort, you're going to feel this sometimes. Sometimes you're going to come to chapters uh, where there's just so much there, and, the, and you're like, how do I, in 30 minutes, say all of this, you know? Uh, and so you just have to ask God's help what to focus on. Sometimes you come to chapters on the flip side of that, and you go, how do I talk for 40 minutes on the fact that they stacked some rocks up and they were told to remember, you know? I do think, uh, because so the story here is not all that complicated, but I do think that there may be more here, especially when we pan out broader biblically, that we can think about. Um, so, it, and this theme of, of remembrance is so important here that it's told us twice in the chapter, right? The Lord uh, tells, at the beginning of the chapter, the Lord tells Joshua, take a man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And while the priests are still standing in the river, so the water is held back. You go and take, each of you take a stone from the place where the, the, the priests are standing and, when, and you put it on your shoulder and take it to wherever you lodge tonight, put it down there, right? That's what they're told. That's the gist of verses 1 through 5. But then the purpose of it is plainly given to us in verses 6 and 7. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verses 8 through 10 simply tell us that the people did exactly as they were commanded. And then again, if you look at the end of the chapter, down in verses 21 and following, the same reasoning is repeated yet again. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters few things I would just want to note about this like first of all the, the setting up of these stones for a remembrance of the people was commanded it was commanded uh, by God of the people the word command appears five times in just the first 17 verses of the chapter God told Joshua in verse 3 to command the men to get these stones in verse 8, they did just as they had been commanded. In verse 10, the priests stood in the river until all the others had, had done all that they were commanded. Verse 16, the Lord commands Joshua again. Verse 17, Joshua delivers that commandment to the priests. Command, 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 command. And so it wasn't just a good thing. It wasn't just a helpful thing uh, for them 
to, to uh, set up these stones of remembrance. It was their duty in, in obedience to the command of the Lord. And we'll see more explicitly why this is the case um, later on in, in the next point. But to suffice it, suffice it to say here that it's worth noting that this is just another example to be reminded of this truth, that anything that the, the Lord commands in Scripture of us is for our good. Right? They were commanded by the Lord to remember the astonishing act of salvation that God had done for them, exhibited in their, their, their crossing through the waters of the Jordan on, on, on dry land safely. Just think about that idea from a broader, broader biblical viewpoint. Water, right? Water had, had in some ways become a, a symbol of uh, the judgment of the Lord. In, 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 like since the days of the flood. So uh, even in the book of Revelation, by the way, water, the sea, is, is, is illustrative of God's judgment. So in the Bible, a lot of times water is, is a symbol of God's judgment. Um, and you think about this. Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the books of Moses, right? Moses had just died. So you're thinking like Moses had, he had been the one to pen the book of Moses. I mean, the book of Genesis, right? Uh, recounting the, and in it, inspired words recounting that the, the worldwide flood story in, in Noah, that, that terrible act of, of God's judgment that was still no doubt vivid in their minds. Not that the story of the flood uh, had not been told, orally prior to Moses writing it down. Sure, surely the, the story had come down orally until Moses wrote it down, but with Moses for the first time, it was committed in an inspired writing. This is the, the, the word of the Lord. This is what happened. So they knew the, the, the floodwaters were, were the holy judgment of God against sin, and they knew that, that, that judgment by water was played out again in a smaller scale, when the, 40 years earlier, when the people had crossed the Red Sea. And the waters came crashing down on Pharaoh's army as they gave chase to the people, drowning them. Uh, and, and the people of Israel would have had a, a, a vivid, here, the, this people of Israel, would have had a vivid and, and um, animated uh, and strong understanding uh, of the floodwaters. Uh, that the Lord was holding back, right? Think about that. They, they, they had read the story of the flood. As children, they had seen the floodwaters come crashing down on Pharaoh's army, right? As they walked across on the dry land and they saw those floodwaters stood up like a heap, they knew what they represented in a, in a way. Uh, they, that, that those waters could just as easily come crashing down on us in judgment on us for our unrighteousness. But by His mercy and by His promise, it stays there. They understood that they're crossing over on dry ground as God stayed the, the, the rushing torrential waters of the Jordan was an act of His merciful salvation. They, and they're commanded here, commanded here, to remember it forever. Don't ever forget it. The setting of these, of these stones, not, not just from the river, but from the very place where the priests stood with the ark of God and 
stood up at their first place of lodging, it was to be, as the Lord said in verse 7, a memorial forever. Remember it. And this isn't an emphasis that we only find here or only in the Old Testament. It's a theme throughout the Old Testament, yes, and, and, and we'll see that even more in the next point. But we need to recognize that the theme of remembrance carries over into the New Testament as well. Um, and, and, and should we be surprised? No, because we, we said last week that their crossing of the Jordan River in chapter 3, uh, their crossing over the Jordan River demonstrated an act of God's salvation just like he did at the Red Sea in the Exodus. And that, that crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus was a type of a greater salvation coming in Jesus. And so likewise, this smaller crossing in Joshua, mirrored after that bigger crossing, is also a type of a greater salvation to come. Both are pointing forward to the salvation that Christ would achieve on the cross for his people. And so should we be surprised then that when we get to the New Testament and Christ has come, we see this theme of remembrance repeated there. Uh, just as strong in the New Testament as in the, the Old. What's the first thing that comes to your mind in the New Testament when I say that it, it urges us to remember? Hopefully it's the Lord's Supper, which we observed last week. Where in the Lord's Supper, Jesus likewise commands, do this, do this in remembrance of me. I, I remember when I, I, was, I had just started out in, in pastoral ministry. And I was pastoring a small church. And, you know, pastoring a church when you're, when you're just starting out, it's like almost like any other job that you have where you've got so many different responsibilities and none of them feel second nature to you yet. And so all of them are brand new and your head is spinning and you're just hoping you don't mess this whole thing up. And I remember going right along and uh, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, and I thought I was doing well, and it didn't dawn on me. We hadn't, we hadn't observed the Lord's Supper in quite a, quite a while. And, uh, and I had a godly uh, older gentleman in the church. He's now with the Lord. He came to me in my office privately, and he gently rebuked me, uh, but reminded me that, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but we haven't done the Lord's Supper in a while. And he reminded me, not just that it's a good thing to do, but the Lord commanded us to do it. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and Jesus, also likewise, just as they were commanded to remember here, Jesus commands us in the Lord's Supper to remember him, what he did for us and for our salvation, his body and his blood given for us. Just as in Joshua 4.10, think about it this way. Every, all these things point forward to Christ just as in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Joshua, the priests are here holding the Ark of the Covenant, standing there against the judgment waters of God, quote, until everything was finished. It's like pointing forward to the fact that Jesus Christ hung in our place on the cross until everything was finished. And He Himself commands us to do this in the Lord's Supper. Why? In remembrance of Him. Now, I believe that the Lord's Supper is, is more than just a remembrance of what the Lord did for us on, on the cross. I, I believe, furthermore, He is present with us at that meal. Um, by, his, by, by His Spirit, He's there with us when we take the, take the meal of the Lord's Supper. But, 
Why do I think that? Because every other covenant meal in the Bible, both parties of the covenant are there at the table, right? And so both parties are here with us. But I, I think it's more than a remembrance, but it is not less than a remembrance. We are commanded to do one thing, remember what he did, right? And, the, and, and that's not just the one example. We don't have time to look at all of them. There's, the New Testament is replete with commands to remember. Like when, just one other, other example, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember. That's a command. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember, it's repeated a second time, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember that. Remember it. A, a twice-given command in that one passage. So this, this idea isn't just a curiosity of Joshua or just a curiosity of the Old Testament. It's an admonition that is deeply rooted in the heart of God. And it's commanded for our good all throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. Now let me just note a couple of other things about it worth noting from Joshua 4. One, it is work for us to remember. It's work. God commanded them to go to great lengths to remember that day. Um, I mean, they were stones. Sure, they, they were stones small enough that a man could carry it. But they were stones big enough that when you pile them up, they would apparently still cause a child 60 years down the road saying, what does this pile of rocks mean? It won't happen without intentional effort. And we'll see that more clearly in the next point. But the second thing I'd point out about this, in addition to it being work for us, it, it is it, remembrance happens best when we talk about it. It, it happens best when we talk about it. In, 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 that case, in this case, we're told in Joshua 4, we're twice told that they were to verbally bear witness to it to their children. Talk about these things to your children. And did you notice that twice the focus is on the children, but did you notice the, the last verse, the very last verse of the chapter, tells us that their testimony of this saving act was to reach all the peoples of the earth. All the peoples of the earth. That's, that's, that's something that's confirmed for us in the, in the New Testament as well. The little book of Philemon. It's only one chapter. Verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective, how? For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The more we share, the more we remember, the more we understand. The more it becomes rooted deeply in us. Every good thing that we have in Christ. God gave them a duty to remember the act of salvation that He accomplished for them when they crossed the Jordan. The, the act of, of salvation that commenced in Exodus when they were delivered out of Egypt but it was completed on this day when they walked across the Jordan River on dry ground into the promised land. They were told to go to great lengths to remember that day and to remember that act. Remember the Lord who did it. Because a second reality is important to remember here, and that is the danger of our forgetfulness. The emphasis on remembrance of this chapter, especially in the first half of the chapter, when this it just over and over again, you're, you're hammered with this, remember, remember, remember. It prompted Ralph Davis in his great commentary on Joshua to say, perhaps this is a, a, a sign to us that the, 
greatest enemy to faith may be forgetfulness. The scriptural warnings against uh, forgetfulness of God, forgetfulness of His holiness, forgetfulness of His merciful salvation, they're everywhere. Hold your place here and turn back a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, here we have an entire chapter of Scripture devoted simply to the importance of remembering and not forgetting what the Lord has done. Just, just, just read it with me. The whole commandment, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today. God, Moses had just delivered the law for a second time. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, which your fathers did not, which your, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God, fulfilled in Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years, knowing that in your heart, then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And you shall, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Verse 11, take care, though, lest you forget the Lord your God. How? By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. Look down in verse 14. It might cause your heart to be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God. Verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God. This whole chapter is dominated by the importance of remembering the danger of forgetting. Right? And now, you can go back to Joshua. Now, when that, that very generation of Deuteronomy 8, finally crosses the Jordan River into the land. They stack 12 stones up in Gilgal where they camp to be a visual reminder to them so that they don't forget as they were warned about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But we who live now and have the whole scriptures, we ask ourselves, do, what does the scripture say? Do they remember as time goes on? No. In, in the generations just after this, we're in Joshua, in Judges, the very next book. It, we have a, a steady refrain in the book of Judges. Just one example, Judges, 8, Judges chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereith, that is Baal Bereith, covenant with Baal and made Baal Bereith their God and the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side later in Israel's history 
even. When the, when the minor prophets were on the scene, Hosea, the prophet Hosea in Hosea 8.14 would, would solemnly say, Israel has forgotten his maker. Psalm 106 is an entire psalm in the Psalter um, that is devoted to this repeated pattern in Israel's history of forgetting the Lord. We read in that, here's just a few statements from that psalm, Psalm 106. Both we and our fathers, the psalmist writes, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. According to that, what did forgetting look like? We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. So according to the testimony of these scriptures, it's not just that forgetting is easy. I mean, how do you forget the wondrous works of God, which you saw with your own eyes? But hey, we can, and we do. It's not just that forgetfulness is easy. According to passages like Psalm 106, that forgetfulness is dangerous. Because it doesn't just manifest itself in us in absent-mindedness, but in wickedness. In walking in our own way as they did in judgment. Doing what is right in our own eyes. Is the danger any less for us than it was for these Old Testament saints? Uh, consider not only the, the exhortations to remembrance that we saw in the New Testament passage that we read earlier, but also just another example of what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in the, in the opening part of that letter, uh, Peter opens by reminding us, as he puts it, that God has granted to us His precious and His very great promises. And then he talks about how, and then he talks about what, what those, by remembering, what remembering those, those very great precious and and at promise of what that should do to us. He says it should, it, our faith should be supplemented with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfast or remembering manifests itself in godliness. But he says in verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, he was cleansed from his former sins. James tells us, right, um, that to be a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word, uh, is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and does what? Forgets what he looks like. And he describes that, that forgetful person who, who hears the word but doesn't, is not a doer of the word as deceived. It's dangerous. I want you to notice something about Joshua Notice what those stones were supposed to be in verse 6. A sign. This may be a sign among you. A sign. What is a sign? A sign is something that points away from itself to something else. 
to what? To, to, to the God who saved them. And it's that these stones here are to point away from the stones to the God who saved them. And, and it's supposed to point them and reaffirm their faith in him. And, their, their, and thus they would walk in obedience. The danger of forgetfulness in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, was that they see the sign and are forgetful of what that sign is pointing to. They continue in their unbelief. And the same danger is, is, is of forgetfulness is true of unbelievers today who hear the hope of the gospel and they walk away from it intentionally forgetful of the hope that it promises. What's the danger of forgetfulness, though, for believers? We're talking about the danger of forgetfulness. If we have trust in Christ, what is actually the danger for us of forgetfulness? Of the believer who, in Jesus' words, doesn't abide in his word and his word doesn't abide in them. The danger for the believer is that that being true, we stumble into egregious sin in our lives. Um, And in so doing, we bring misery into our lives and we bring reproach on the name of Christ. That's the danger. There's one more truth I want us to consider, though, as we bring this to a close, and that's the delight of his remembrance. Think with me for about about that for just a second. I know when when I was preparing to teach this on on this theme of remembrance in Joshua 4, remembrance of God's salvation, and the concomitant reality of the danger of forgetfulness, I was constantly so starkly aware of my own forgetfulness of the Lord's work for me and the promise of his work in me. And far too often, because of my own forgetfulness, I grow lax in my walk with Christ. And I, and I, and I walk in lukewarm obedience, lukewarm disobedience. It's, it's, it's hardly a comforting word, at least to me. If all we're given in Scripture is a duty that we never live up to. You have a duty to remember. It's really dangerous to forget. But you're always going to forget. You're never going to remember. (laughs) That's basically the theme of the Old Testament. I'm I'm just as prone to remember. If I remember anything, I'm I'm just as prone to remember and be overcome by my own lukewarmness and my own sins. I remember my sins. I see so vividly my shortcomings. I see that as clearly as as I... and, and I'm aware of that and remember that as I am of the Lord's mercy and patience with me. But as I scanned the biblical testimony about remembrance and forgetfulness, I was reminded so delightfully that we are not the only ones who remember and forget in the Bible. God does too. In Psalm 106, that depressing psalm, we forgot, we forgot, we walked in wickedness, we forgot. Psalm 106 the one, that, the one that says they forgot God, their Savior. The end of that psalm, we also read these words. Nevertheless, anytime you read a rotten list about us and you see that word nevertheless, man, that's sweet. Nevertheless, the Lord looked upon their distress. This is verses 44 and 45 of Psalm 106. Nevertheless, the Lord looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake... He remembered his covenant and relented according to 
the abundance of his steadfast love. For those who have trusted in Christ, when we weakly and sinfully forget his work, forget his word, and sinfully walk in our own ways, Scripture assures us that God never forgets his promise to us. He remembers the covenant. And, and to that, Scripture also tells us that there is something that God actually forgets. Right? That He does not remember. Jeremiah 31, the prophecy about the new covenant, and Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, again, tells us that He remembers, God remembers our sins no more. He's forgotten them. And He's cast them as far as the east is from the west. I, and I pray then that along with this admonition that's a good admonition in in joshua 4 to remember the the work of the lord for us to remember uh the salvation that he has done for us that 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 it would spur us on to greater remembrance and and therefore walking in greater obedience to him uh but even when we stumble and fall and we we see how poorly we remember how often we forget, that would bounce us onto the Lord. And remember that He always remembers His covenant. And He never remembers our sins in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this precious Word. Lord, I, I, it is a good thing for us to remember uh, Your saving work. It's a good thing. It's, a, uh, it's an encouraging thing. to, And I pray that we would we would go to great lengths in our own life to set up stones of remembrance in our own lives that point us back to that great work of the cross that you did. You've, you've built it into your church in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. You've built things into our, the ongoing rhythm of the church, signs that point us to that great work. I pray that we would never grow lax in remembering. I pray that we would be zealous to keep it at the forefront of our minds, abiding in your word and your word abiding in us. Lord, when we forget and walk in disobedience, would you remind us gently of the gospel of your goodness, that you, you remember your covenant of promise to us in Christ and never remember our sins in him. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.